kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of Auntie Nanny. It's Monday. It's a little past six o'clock, and with me is the vibrant and happy Miss Jeannie Kay. How are you this evening, Miss Jeannie? Anything but that. <laughs> and the best producer money can't buy, which is good because I couldn't afford to, even if I had to pay him. Barry, how are you this evening, Barry? Well, better than I've been in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> we've we've missed you the past two weeks. It's good to have you back, by the way. Oh, so, nice and and I should note that I, you know, my show, I broadcast the pre-show. Um, Barry, I am exceptionally thankful that you do not broadcast the pre-show that the three of us have. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's probably a good thing people don't hear us on the air beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) They would be like, oh my God, I don't believe it. They seem so nice. No, I'm kidding. Holy shit, she said that? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I think they'd be more surprised at at the stuff I say than the stuff you say. But um, that's okay. So I'm not sure whether to start with this because it's funny. I'll. I thought it was funny. I'll probably save it for the end. Um, And I don't know if anybody noticed, but in the past couple of days, it looks like Boeing got a patent for a drone that never lands. So that should be interesting. I just figured I would mention that. No big story that I've read, but I just thought I would mention it since it's new. Uh, Now, the last couple of weeks, people have been telling me I needed to talk more about Jade Helm. I'm going to, but it's not going to be what you think. So, let me just scroll down to that. This is only like 57 pages of stuff. (laughs) I do actually try to cut it down when I'm on the air. Um, So, you don't generally get the whole story, but you get a good chunk of it a really good portion of it um which is good because if you had to read all this stuff and scroll down like i am right now you'd lost your mind by now this comes from wired 
Jade Helm questions are coming from an unexpected place. The Pentagon sucks at explaining anything sensitive to the American public, and the true scope of Jade Helm, the military exercise scheduled for this summer, is being hidden behind happy folk talk from one side and mass hysteria from the other. That's why Jade Helm, the reaction, continues to fascinate me. A Google search for Jade Helm in the .mil official domain produces all of eight results, even after eight months of public hysteria. So any new morsel of actual factual information that passes through my inbox is interesting. Today I saw a job announcement from a company called ICE Incorporated. If somebody can grab the link for ICE Incorporated from the story uh, and drop it into the chat, I would appreciate that. Looking for a Jade Helm intelligence partner to work under contract for the Army. Nothing at all in all of the gobbledygook and Pentagonese of this job posting reveals more than we already know. That is, that these exercises are indeed meant to use the vast open spaces of the Southwest to prepare special operations soldiers for clandestine missions out there. But a contractor being hired as an intelligence planner for constantly running series of games does beg the question as to whether the public has indeed gotten a sufficient explanation. The sentence alone in the job announcement tells me more public misunderstanding is to come. Quote, plan, organize, and coordinate all joint interagency, intergovernment, multinational, JIMM, intelligence capabilities, and participants to include civilian law enforcement, CLE, within Jade Helm UW exercise program. Joint interagency, intergovernmental, and multinational, JIM, it's got its own acronym. In English, that's the Military, Homeland Security, CIA, and Foreign Military Forces all running around playing their games. No big deal, the military says. And yet, when that first foreign soldier arrives for Jade Helm, British, German, Italian, Swedish, Jordanian, or Emirati, I'm sure it won't be in a public ceremony. The threat forces referred to in the job posting also does not mean the people of the Southwest, but the insular language of this world of the military sure does confuse, and the Pentagon drive does provide some insight into the isolated world they live in. Maybe not the tinfoil hat, but the headgear of another type that just as much separates those in the military from the vast majority of those in the American public. That point, which is driven home in an article in the Los Angeles Times, which points out that 49% of everyone in the active duty military hails from just five states, California, Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia, and Texas. These states also happen to host gigantic military bases and communities and percentage-wise are a huge portion of the overall population. Still, a military caste is growing in this country and our utter segment segregation from them produces misunderstandings, distrust, and hostilities. For the media blowhards who live in New York City and shape the news, the American military is already a foreign force, and patriotism is already a scripted event. The same goes for Washington, D.C., a wholly militarized city of spit-shined consistency, where those in uniform are not just ubiquitous, but also polite and hyper-groomed desk dwellers who could never represent any kind of a threat. Such nice people. Texas is a fuck of a lot bigger than D.C., but the citizens of Austin, 
Dallas, Houston, etc., can still go about their lives without much exposure to the soldiers at Fort Hood and Fort Bliss. So who exactly is complaining about Jade Helm is an interesting question. It isn't the elite urban dwellers who could care less about the military and go about their lives unaffected by war. No, ironically, it is normal and unwashed, seemingly uneducated Americans who are expressing concern about the ever-encroaching militarization of the the nation, and they're being held hostage to federal priorities that don't seem to think much about them. This isn't some Obama conspiracy. We, the American people, have created this, quote, all-volunteer force to guard our freedom. Now, 40 years into an all-volunteer military, generations of guardians have gone through all the ranks, and guess what? They see the world the same way as their military parents and assume a position of service to America above all else. Who needs martial law when martial life has already taken over America? That's what the Jade Helm questioners are ultimately getting at. The mainstream and the elite are of no help because they have just have so much fun making fun of each other. I kind of liked that. Um, it was the first time I had seen anything covering this that was outside of the realm of FEMA camps and FEMA coffins. Um, I just thought it was a really interesting perspective. Thoughts? Well, I, no. I read... And I read the, something. The mass or the separation of military, um, that kind of happens everywhere. Uh, and the the military class thing. Well, yeah, if you're only getting volun, if you're only using volunteers, mm-hmm. then it'll tend to be particularly particular groups that end up volunteering. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's not a surprise. Uh, for a long time in the UK, the a large quantity of the British military were Scottish. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. people up here, it was it was either heavy industry, which we no longer have, or military. <laughs> that was it. That was the only choices you had, really. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's changing now, but, yeah. Yeah. My husband lived in a town in Michigan where 99% of the people who left high school went right into the military because there were no jobs. Yep. Yeah. And that's well, it's the same you... here, especially yeah, in uh, Scotland when they started closing all the steel works and the coal mines and all that kind of stuff. Well, yeah. there really are no jobs basically outside of like retail military healthcare anymore yeah. and there are other jobs but you know it's like banking and that's just you, you might as well be a fucking baby butcher <laughs> the suicide rate in that job line is a little high for me uh yeah <laughs> lately now it's what three or four in the last week which is just interesting 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 and i have a feeling as um the market changes even more we're going to see more People slipping out their windows, slipping in their bathtubs, nailing themselves in the head with a nail gun. I can't prove it. I'm just pretty sure we're going to see it. Well, it's hard to be sympathetic since we have too many of them anyway. Uh. <laughs> I, I got to agree. I mean, yeah, there are way too many for my comfort level. Um, 
Yeah, and you, they the bankers we... deal, are dealing with themselves, apparently. Uh, now we just need somebody to deal with politicians and lawyers. Uh, well... <laughs> and we'll get somewhere. You know, I think you give people enough time and they will, or we'll see what's happening continue to happen. Where well, you well have in the a, U.S., a small with, minority... the build, with the build-up of the military you've got, it may well be, you know, in Texas, there may well Because, yeah, Texas has huge amount of military. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even I know that. And, yeah, oh, yeah. It, 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 if they get pissed off at the at the state Senate, <laughs> um, yeah, I wouldn't like to be in Texas. <laughs> um, but, you know, and I mean, insofar as that, though, the amount of people in the military in Texas, you have to understand, look at the size of the fucking state, though. Yeah. You know, I mean, and a lot of it is nothing. A lot of Americans thousands, as well. Only thousands of acres yeah. isn't a huge deal. Um, being yeah, able to earn a, lot, a living on that thousand people, of, thousands of, of acres, now that's something altogether yeah, different. A lot of but, people don't realize how big the bases are in Texas either. Oh, yeah, I do. More, My more people should go and have there. a look at uh, um, Fort Hood on Google yeah. Maps. It's huge. It is. Well, it's a city. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've we've got one in Tampa here that's... I don't want to say it's a city, and I don't want to say it's as big, but it's absolutely everything you never wanted to see under one roof, all yeah. together, all sharing the same information, and all doing the same redundant work. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's something the British military never did. They never went for large, centralized bases. They always made, made sure uh, everything was spread out. So you didn't have a huge congregation in one place. Oh, we don't care. We're, they, they want Florida to be a first strike target, I guess. Yeah. Huh. I, oh, strategically, it's terrible having yeah. a huge single base. Well, it, they're, they're really, yeah. And um, if you've ever read the book Strategic Relocation, I have. Hmm. Um, basically, I'm sitting in a coffin. Yep. Here. there's If something comes in... There's no way out. If something hits close enough, it's a tsunami. Um, well, no, I'm in germ the UK, warfare, the whole, I'm dead. The whole country There's... is a giant strike zone for nuclear weapons. Yeah. <laughs> sure, no, no matter where you are, there's a military base. Not so much. No, it'll be a, it'll be a uh, pirate's burial for me, I guess. Yeah, a Viking I grave. a state that actually borders an ocean, but I, I can say that I am over 1,500 feet above sea level. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of thankful for that. Um, my friend yeah. Kim that owns One Stop DIY just moved to Colorado. Mm-hmm. And their house is like 8,000 feet above sea level. And I'm like, I am so not fucking coming to visit you. <laughs> I would die. There's no, there's no air up there. Uh... Um, but the 1,500 feet that I've got, I think it's like 1,523 feet, something silly like that. Um, I'm really thankful for it because it would take an awful lot of water for mm-hmm. me to be under it. I'm my uh, the water table here is nine inches, <laughs> <laughs> so that should tell you something. Uh, I'm sitting right on coral, basically is what I'm sitting on. So uh, unless you have a boat, if you live here, there is no way out because yeah, everything in. is one one way in, one way out for emergencies. So yeah. um, when I talk about prepping, for me, it's a necessity. I either have, have to have this stuff or I will die. <laughs> so, 
that's just the way it is. But um, I do think that's true. Uh, once you grow up in a military family like I did, you get a certain mindset. And that mindset colors absolutely everything you think about the people you see every day. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, yeah, I'm from a military family, but luckily my father was uh, um, an interestingly trained special forces guy. So, he was very liberal-minded. My dad retired from the Marines, so that's where... Um, that's where I get a lot of the philosophy of everything you do, you do so the guy behind you doesn't have such a hard job comes yeah. from. Um, that's why I've done all the work with Kasa I've done. So the guy behind me doesn't have as hard a job as I had. Um, and I think that's really important. I'm happy that I have that. But there are other things that it took me a really long time to... Um, come to terms with and think about and make my own mind up on. And luckily I'm, I'm smart enough to have done it, which is a good thing. Um, let's see. Uh, does anybody know what Politowoops is on Twitter? No, ma'am. Okay. You forget I Twitter. Yeah. Well, I know what it used to be. I know what it no longer exists now because of Twitter's API. So uh, Politowoops used to run Twitter's API and what it did was it saved all the tweets that were deleted by politicians and it was great it was a really good resource to find out who thought what about who uh, if you're at all interested in politics which I kind of am even though it's the greatest show on earth because we really don't have too much of a say in how things are run but uh, yeah they just killed Politowoops so uh, if you ever wanted to find out what a deleted tweet of a politician looks like, um, you're shit out of luck. That's gone. Thought I would mention that. Okay. This one comes from Zero Hedge. Not a surprise to people who know me. I do read just about everything. Government granted freedom. Sometimes we get the feeling the ruling elite are investing the laws they enact with a kind of imminent slap-in-your-face black humor. How else to explain the Orwellian names given to the liberty-crushing laws that have been put in place since the war on terror started? The latest example is the misnamed Freedom Act, the purpose of which appears to make legal what was hitherto plainly illegal, the inter-ala wholesale spying by the government on the citizenry, the legislation has been sold to the serfs as absolutely necessary to prevent terror attacks. As we have previously pointed out, the average U.S. citizen is statistically far more likely to die from drowning in a bathtub or simply by falling from a chair rather than from a terror attack. No special laws have been proposed to yet save us from the evil of bathtubs and chairs in spite of the danger evidently emanating from these deadly household furnishings. Many people, indeed, begin to watch what they are saying once they are aware of being under constant surveillance. And as we have previously argued, this undermines an important pillar of civilization. Apart from the vanishingly small statistical likelihood of actually being harmed by terrorists, it is noteworthy that such laws, the true purpose of which is highly unlikely to be congruent with their stated purposes, are enacted 
even while the government engages in activities that are bound to worsen these statistics in the future. The so-called war on terror so far actually seems to be similarly successful as the war on poverty and the war on drugs. In fact, it appears to be ranking quite high on the list of the biggest government boondoggles. Since the war on terror started, terrorism has grown like never before. One should expect such outcomes to some extent, but this one is actually putting quite a few failed government schemes to shame. To call a law the Freedom Act makes it sound as if freedom were something the government generously grants to its serfs. This is not so. Not surprisingly, upon closer inspection, it looks like the new law hasn't improved the previous state of affairs in the slightest. Instead, it has probably made it even worse. Due to FOIA requests by Judicial Watch, it has recently emerged that the government knew full well that its intervention in Syria, arming moderately mad mullahs in order to overthrow Assad, would probably result in the emergence of an Islamic state in Iraq and Syria. As Washington's blog and Zero Hedge have pointed out, there are quite a few choice passages in a 2012 assessment by the Defense Intelligence Agency. Um, there's part of the transcript I'm going to read from. The general situation. Internally, events are taking a clear sectari sectarian direction. The Salafists... The Muslim Brotherhood and AQI are the major forces driving the insurgency in Syria. The West, Gulf countries, and Turkey support the opposition, while Russia, China, and Iran support the regime. The effects on Iraq. The opposition forces will try to use the Iraqi territory as a safe haven for its forces, taking advantage of the sympathy of the Iraqi border population. Meanwhile, trying to recruit fighters and train them on the Iraqi side, in addition to harboring refugees. If the situation unravels, there is the possibility of establishing a declared or undeclared Salafist principality in eastern Syria. Oh, boy. Haskah and Derzor. And this is exactly what the supporting powers to the opposition want. In order to isolate the Syrian regime, which is considered the strategic depth of the Sharia expansion in Iran and Iraq, the deterioration of the situation has dire consequences on the Iraqi situation and are as follows. This creates the ideal atmosphere for AQI to return to its old pockets in Mosul and Ramadi and will provide a renewed momentum under the presumption of unifying the jihad among the Sunni, Iraqi, and Syria, and the rest of the Sunnis in the Arab world, against what it considers the enemy, the dissenters. ISI could also declare an Islamic state through its union with other terrorist organizations in Iraq and Syria, which will create grave danger in regards to unifying Iraq and the protection of its territory. The renewing facilitation of terrorist elements from all over the Arab world entering into the Iraq arena. It is startling to learn of, that all of this was already known to government agencies in 2012, well before the world at large became aware of IS. Just think for a moment about this sentence. There is the possibility of establishing a declared or undeclared Salafist principality in eastern Syria. And this is exactly what the supporting powers to the opposition want. In other words, 
IS, has not only done precisely what was expected, but what the government supporting the Syrian opposition wanted to happen. Radical Salafists were armed to overthrow a Timpod dictator who represents no threat whatsoever to us. Many of the same politicians who voted in favor of this have at the same time increasingly promoted the alleged need to keep civil liberties undermined. According to them, provisions of the quote-unquote Patriot Act shouldn't have been allowed to expire under any circumstances, inter alia, to enable us to, quote, defend against the threat posed by, posed by groups like ISIS. Someone should perhaps remind these slime molds that they are knowingly and willingly helped to create this threat. The cynicism and hypocrisy are truly remarkable. Uh, there's a picture of John McCain posing with the moderate people of ISIS in Syria. Uh, the man with the camera was later identified as terrorist Muhammad Noir. Well, the second man from the left, and I think everybody's seen this picture, was said to be his associate, Abru Ibrahim. Both have allegedly been involved in the abduction of Lebanese Shia pilgrims. McCain's office commented, if the individual photographed with Senator McCain is in fact Mahad War, that is regrettable. Why should we get involved in the Sunni-Shia religious dispute at all? What has any of this got to do with us? Note that prior to the Iraqi war, Sunni, Shia, and Christian communities were living peacefully side-by-side side in the region. One certainly cannot deny that both Saddam and Assad were, respectively, um, quite unsavory, unsavory dictators. And yet the West has no problem with supporting the brutal theocratic regime of Saudi Arabia and the even more brutal juta of General al-Sisi that is currently ruling Egypt where the courts are routinely sentencing hundreds of people to death in one go in Stalinesque show trials. This support is provided under the cover of real politic, the term regularly invoked when policies completely bereft of morals are pursued. Supporting radical fundamentals in order to fight a regime one happens to dislike at one given moment is, per experience, especially dangerous. If there is a lesser evil in the Syrian conflict, we have yet to be apprised of its existence. The radicals fighting Assad are certainly happy to take Western money and weapons, just as the Mujahideen of Afghanistan once did, and we know who made them. Fuck. But they are definitely not our friends. On the contrary, aiming them will ultimately only invite blowback, a term coined by the CIA to describe the rash of unintended consequences that usually results from such interventions. It should be known by now that Islamic fundamentalists have especially large blowback potential. The recent murder of cartoonists in Paris has once again underscored this fact. The French government has reacted as one would expect by curtailing the liberties of French citizens further. No one is saying that general, genuine terrorist threats shouldn't be defended against. The question is whether surveillance of the entire population actually serves this goal. The evidence so far suggests that it doesn't. As former NSA chief publicly admitted, one or perhaps two terrorist plots have actually been foiled by NSA's extended spying activities. Or perhaps none, as Michael Krieger avers. Who knows, really? Our money is on none. Similarly, the extraordinary powers the government has aggregated to itself in other areas by the likely or well, likewise Orwellian-sounding Patriot Act 
are unlikely to actually improve its record of providing safety. The previously allowed methods of detection and prevention of crime should be more than sufficient for this purpose. After all, ticking bomb scenarios exist only in Jack Bauer movies. If such a scenario were, against all odds, ever encountered in real life, we're quite sure that those confronted by it wouldn't let protocol stand in their way, and we can be just as certain that no one would subsequently complain. For the citizens who are supposedly going to be protected, there is definitely no mileage in the shredding of the Bill of Rights. All over the world, anti-terror laws have been abused for the purposes that have been have absolutely nothing to do with terrorism. These range all the way from investigating copyright infringement to, and Barry might remember this from 2008, spying on noisy children. Yep. Mm-hmm. If the process were honest, one would simply have to amend the Fourth and Fifth Amendments a bit further. We propose the following changes. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effect, effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. There are certain exceptions when these rights shall be violated on a grand scale. As soon as the government declares something called the war on drugs, no one shall be safe from arbitrary seizure of his effects by anyone ranging from Hicksville sheriffs to DEA agents at their whim. As soon as the government declares something called the war on terror, the passage about being secure from unreasonable searches will be suspended for the duration of the conflict, i.e. forever. No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless a presentment or indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia, when an actual service in time of war or public danger, nor shall any person be subject for the same offense twice be put in jeopardy of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any way in any criminal case to be a witness against himself nor to be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. As soon as the government declares the never-ending war on terror mentioned in Amendment 4, the whole regime about due process shall be suspended as well. If these amendments were duly altered as proposed above, the courts would no longer have to engage in an unseemly song and dance about who has standing every time people are attempting to get them to rule on whether assorted anti-terror laws represent an infringement of the constitutional order. Conclusion. The fact that the newest anti-terror law has been named the Freedom Act is a big red flag all by itself. It certainly appears as if nothing has improved relative to the previous situation. At the same time, government intervention in faraway lands continues to be the biggest force generating more terrorism in the world. When blowback eventually ensues, we will no doubt be told that if we want to be safe, we will need to surrender even more civil liberties. Unfortunately, experience suggests that when most people are either going to sleep through this or will even share their own enslavement on. History also shows us that no society moves from a relatively free political system to a full-scale authoritarianism in one fell swoop. Instead, the process moves forward step by step, almost imperceptibly at first, in salami-tactic fashion. A major characteristic of this process can be observed time and time again is that governments enact increasingly oppressive legislation on the pretext of emergencies, at time real ones, 
and more often than not, imagined ones. By the time people are waking up to what's going on, it is usually too late. None of this should therefore be taken lightly. Well, quite. Um, mm. Well, the stuff about the, the arming the solifists, etc. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. As, as soon as I heard them talking about that, I knew it's like, oh, look, they're getting ready for Iraq 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, this serves no one but the military-industrial complex. Yeah. Is who it serves. And um, you know who the people you've elected are loyal to when you watch C-SPAN and you see who votes for and against your civil liberties. And you don't even have to watch C-SPAN. You you can just wait till the next time we're on the air and I can tell you, uh, well, two or three people stood up and said no and they got shouted down. So then you know. See, I'm I'm in the UK and the first suggestion of giving weapons to them uh, was knocked out. But now the Tories have the government to themselves. So no doubt weapons are now flowing much like the American and French weapons off to the crazies. <laughs> you know, um, I kind of wish we would just, you know, do our own dirty work and just go in and do it. Explain it all later. Well, don't, well the UK's don't got sneak. to keep doing it this way because we don't have major armed forces anymore. Well, we've got our secret terror weapons, but other than that, we don't have much armed forces anymore. Yeah, you you also have a weapon that could melt the core of the Earth, so, you know, you've always got that. Only hypothetically, they claim they never built it. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. That's right, and my government never sold out my civil liberties. Yeah. So I believe that. Um, This was kind of interesting, Amnesty UK... Amnesty International UK is the only one doing this, but they launched a petition not to punish Edward Snowden. Which I thought was kind of nice. So, there's that, well, if yeah, you'd like. It, it doesn't really matter. I know. Snowden it... would have to be insane to try and set foot in America again. <laughs> oh, no. I, I don't think he's ever coming back here. I yeah. mean, come on now. Why would he? <laughs> I, I with, don't think... With I... the shit that he found out, why the fuck would he ever want to come back here? Uh, I don't know. Well, but everywhere he felt... else has the same sort of thing going on. It's just, yeah. Don't go back to the place where you shit on. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't so much that as why would I want to go back to some place that's that fucked up? Yeah. That that's my view on it. You think Russia's not, any not better? That, not that he did this horribly bad thing, it's just, you know I, I don't think any place is any better. I mean honestly. I really actually wanted to be in Russia, Jan. <laughs> just, just like uh where can I go that I might not get shot and hit? <laughs> Well, they kind of trapped him there. Um, which well, he, could, he could go to Mars. They're looking for people. <laughs> yeah, he could buy himself a bed on that ship. I don't think anybody really wants to go there. Um, I mean, you're basically signing up to die. Oh, yeah. That doesn't sound so great to me. I mean, just getting through the Van Allen radiation belt is going to be interesting enough. Um, 
it's not nearly as hard as conspiracy theorists make out. <laughs> there's just well, I mean, called, I know they did stuff, it in the sixties. Yeah. I'm just saying. There's just stuff called you know. tinfoil that stops ninety percent of the radiation. And I so do mean tinfoil. So basically, a tinfoil hat would be useful there. Because yeah. <laughs> most of the radiation there can only penetrate paper. So you know. Shit, <laughs> Jan, did you see my post on Facebook the day yeah. about tinfoil hats? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're responsible for that, so thank you very much. And I and right. I do have to tell you that I'm exceedingly grateful for the fact that you have made it a a priority of yours to make sure that I know all the shit that I should know, or at least most of the shit I should know that doesn't make my eyeballs glaze over and roll back <laughs> in my head. Um, and you should be really proud of the fact that, that there are a lot of people that I know that really thought I was all tinfoil hat-ish when I started making these posts, and then they started reading this shit, and they're like, holy fuck, this shit's real. <laughs> so you're you're doing good, Jan. You really are you're doing good. The worst part is, like, most of the stuff, I mean, except for, I don't think I've ever read more than two stories by Zero Hedge. Okay, so that's, that's like, the most out there thing that I read from, and I don't consider it out there. Because generally it comes from other sources. But, um... Yeah, most of the stuff is is actually in the newspapers, um, and mo- a lot of times you'll find these stories on Fridays. Uh-huh. And most people, attention. nobody's going to be busy getting ready for their weekend and not going to pay attention to that shit. Oh shit! Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, most people are. I, I guess I'm not most people. Yeah, ma- so. major news doesn't happen on Sundays, apparently. No, nothing they ever leave happens it for Fridays on Sunday. And Mondays. <laughs> Better hope we never have like a, a major tsunami or something hit us because we won't hear about it till Monday morning. Um, I can't stand David Hastert. I've got. To, I cannot stand that man. He's despicable. I hate him. He's a pedophile. But you know, I almost edited the show notes after that. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, you could have say what you're going to say before I start to explain why this is wrong. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to edit the show notes after that and put, why the fuck are you reading this then? Um, because what happens to him is going to happen to innocent people. It really, truly innocent people. And what this does, what they're doing with this is they're eliminating the gray market and the black market they're eliminating cash money, which I guess is for a purpose. You know, if you eliminate the ability to pay for things in cash, then no poor waitress will ever get to not declare her $2 tip and the government will always get its share. Leviathan will stay afloat and nothing will make it sink. That's the, Leviathan is the government, by the mm-hmm. way. Um, and I think that's wrong. I can't stand him. Okay. So here we go. Why is it a crime to evade government scrutiny? Prosecutors may suspect David Hastert of serious misconduct, but charging him with trying to avoid surveillance risks criminalizing harmless behavior. He's disgusting. He's a pedatrist. I can't stand him. Okay. David Hastert is a hard man to defend. 
Former House Speaker got filthy rich as a Washington, D.C. lobbyist by trading on the contracts and knowledge that he gained while in office. His time in congressional leadership coincided with the body's abject failure to exercise oversight or protect civil liberties after the September 11th terrorist attacks. And now he stands accused of a serious personal transgression. Improper sexual contact with a boy he knew years ago while teaching high school and trying to hide that sordid history by paying the young man to keep quiet. If federal prosecutors could meet the legal thresholds for charging and convicting Hastert of a sex crime, they would be fully justified in aggressively pursuing the manner. Instead, they've done something alarming. The Hastert indictment doesn't charge him for or even accuse him of sexual misconduct. Rather, as Glenn Greenwald notes, Hastert was indicted for two alleged felonies, withdrawing cash from his bank account in amounts and patterns designed to hide the payments and to lying to the left, the FBI about the purpose of those withdrawals once they detected them and inquired with him. It isn't illegal to withdraw money from the bank, nor to compensate someone in recognition of past harms, nor to be the victim of a blackmail scheme. So why should it be a crime to hide those actions from the U.S. government? The alarming aspect of this case is the fact that an American is ultimately being prosecuted for the crime of evading federal government surveillance. That has implications for all of us. By way of background, financial institutions are required to report all transactions of $10,000 or more to the federal government. This is meant to make it harder to commit racketeering, tax fraud, drug crimes, and other serious offenses. Hastert began paying off the person he allegedly wronged years before by withdrawing large amounts of cash. But once he realized that this was generating activity reports, he allegedly started making more withdrawals, each one less than $10,000 to avoid drawing attention to the fact that he was paying someone for his silence. Again, the payments weren't illegal, but as it turns out, structuring financial transactions to evade currency transaction reporting requirements is a violation of federal law. To see why that is unjust, it helps to set aside Hastert's case and consider a more sympathetic figure. <laughs> Imagine a documentary filmmaker like Laura Poitras, whose films are critical of government surveillance, is buying a used video camera for $12,000. Vaguely knowing that a report to the federal government is generated for withdrawals of $10,000 or more, she thinks to myself, with my films criticizing the NSA surveillance, I don't want to invite any more extra scrutiny. Out of an abundance of caution, or maybe even paranoia, I'm going to take out 9000 today and 3000 tomorrow. The last thing I need is to give someone a pretext to hassle me. That would be illegal, even though in this hypothetical, she's committed no crime, and is motivated, like many people, by a simple aversion to being monitored. I don't much like the $10,000 reporting requirement. As I see it, behavior that lots of people engage in every day for perfectly legal reasons shouldn't trigger surveillance. And it is certainly perverse to set a threshold for government scrutiny, only to make it a criminal offense to purposely avoid triggering that threshold. Think of applying the same logic in another context. What if the government installed surveillance cameras on various streets in a municipality that made it a crime to walk along that route, walk along a route that skirted those cameras? Of course, Hastert may have also committed more serious offenses. May. Hmm. The current charges could be motivated by a desire to prosecute him for sex crimes. 
but that dodges the issue. In order to punish him for that crime, the government should charge him with it, then prosecute him with due process and convict him in front of a jury of his peers. What overcriminalization does is allow the government to turn anyone it wants into a felon and thus punish them without having to overcome those vital burdens, regardless of one's views of Hastert or his alleged misconduct here. It should take little effort to see why nobody would want that. If the state can decide specific legal behavior will trigger scrutiny by federal law enforcement and that any attempt to avoid scrutiny is illegal, even if no other crime is proved, everyone's privacy and freedom from unjust arrest is undermined. That's why. Yes. Well, go ahead. Yeah, the the uh, UK government keeps getting told off for trying to uh, do these catch-22 laws as well. Uh, well... Luckily, some of our judges are smart enough to stop them doing it. Because, um, yeah, I mean, yes, make something illegal and then, well, make something illegal that isn't illegal, basically. I mean, yeah, it, it, like I said, I, I despise... Something that's not harming anyone. I mean, the stuff about racketeering is insane Any, mm -hmm. as well. Because no criminal with a brain is going to launder money that way. Well, and they don't it, need to. You yeah. know? I mean, they don't need to do that. All they no. need to do is hire a smart hacker computer guy. Um, and I'm here to tell you, Jan, there are people that don't work in retail... Mm -hmm. really have no idea why all of these companies absolutely hate debit cards. You know, they don't they don't seem to understand. They and they don't get it. You know, my cousin owns a gas station here and and I'm here to tell you he absolutely despises credit cards. I don't despises blame him. them. Um, you know, he they have to pay a per transaction fee for mm -hmm. every Oh, card they have to pay a they have to pay Yeah, and they have to pay a percentage of the sale. And they have to pay batch fees at the end of every day. You know, people just don't get that. And when you're talking about a gas station or a convenience store, they might make a few cents on a gallon of gas. And yep. so if somebody comes in and they get $25 worth of gas, mm -hmm. that store has just lost money. Yeah. And, and people... You know, normal consumers don't get that. They don't understand that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the these retailers are making it little of no money. And then, or, you know, people wonder why, you know, he has, a lot of these places have a limit. You know, you can't, no debit cards on purchases less than $10. Mm -hmm. Well, there's, there's a reason for that. And it's because they need to make money. Otherwise, they wouldn't own a fucking store. Well, you know, well, yeah, I mean, gas is generally speaking what we call a loss leader. Um, gas is your draw. It, it's the stuff inside. It's the soda. It's the donuts. It's the cigarettes. It's the gum. That's where your actual money comes from at a gas not, station. It's not the a lot of it's not even the, the soda anymore, Jan. <laughs> yeah. um, and I say that just because, in, in, and of course, and by the way, as far as this article goes, the, the guy's an absolute, utter, total piece of shit. 
But I think these IRS limits, these reporting limits should be these reporting limits, you know, and fuck all that other stuff. Um, so I understand the point of you doing the story. I was just going to give you pick on you well, because you, you hate him. And I know you hate him. I, uh, I hate him, but if I don't defend his rights, who will defend mine? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's like we have, we have a soda, we have a pot machine out in front of the car wash. Okay. Now... If we want to get our products from Pepsi, mm-hmm. now they're coming off of the same Pepsi truck that is going to the IGA grocery store that's literally two doors down from the car wash, right? If we buy our soda direct from Pepsi, it's going to cost us ten ninety nine a case. Holy fuck. If I go to the IGA, I can get it for six ninety nine or seven ninety nine a case. So where the fuck am I going to buy it to put in this machine? Now, mind you, it all came off of the same damn truck. But then you have these companies that are trying to push you into selling bottles of pop instead of cans of pop. Right? Right. Mm -hmm. So then, okay, well, Pepsi, okay, how much is this going to cost me? A dollar nine. Like, well, everybody sells it for a dollar thirty in the machines. Yep. Right. Yep. So now Pepsi is trying to control... Your profit margin. Mm-hmm. They know you can't sell it for more than this, and this is what they're going to charge you, and you have to buy it from them, or you're not going to get their machine. Right. Yeah. yeah um, some similar I'm... things have happened in the uh, drinks industry long before they happened um, in soft drinks. <laughs> but um, in the UK, something kind of weird happened that through the breweries and the like for a uh, it threw a spanner in the works because um, that's what they were doing with um, kegs of beer you know you, you had to buy from them mm-hmm. and they were fixing the price basically of course well, what then happened was loads of the independent guys basically got together and formed a union but not a political union this was an economic union they formed a buying group mm-hmm. and then went back to the breweries and went, right, there are, we now have 200 locations instead of each being individual. Mm-hmm. Give us a good deal or we'll go to the other brewery. <laughs> I, I have that's, a question that's what, very... that's what people need to do. It's the only way to fight it. Sweetie, what's a spanner? A spanner. A wrench. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, now I understand. something into cogs, yeah, to <laughs> gum them up. But, yes, that, that's what happened over here. A monkey so, wrench. Yeah. Oh, nope, and that, okay. that's the only way you can fight that kind of thing. Because yeah, you're having to compete with big companies buying loads of stuff. So loads of independent people have got to get together and form a buying group. Well... <sighs> That would be ideal, but um, it's not easy. Let's to do, just though. let's just look at the vaping industry. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> you understand. I, um, there are people who won't get together to even look after their own interests because it means that their competition is still kept in business, yeah. and they don't like that. Well, funny um, enough, bar owners over here got over that quite quickly when they realized. <laughs> Yeah. We're all going to end up going out of business. We have to do something about this. 
Eventually. Yeah, I th- well. It slowed down <laughs> the expansion of the big um, chains of bars. Mm-hmm. They're still expanding, but a lot right. slower than they were. Because all the independents got together. Because to, to give you an idea, even with the buying group thing, right. the hotel I worked for used to be able to get kegs of a particular beer mm-hmm. for £22. It's not bad, actually. Yeah. This well, is even, quite a while ago. Well, yeah, the but I mean, even taking door, the exchange rate in. The who's independent, but in a buying group, for right. the same keg, was having to spend £25. So, we could uh, undercut him on the beer price by a fraction. <laughs> oh my god, Jan's shows always have the best chats. I... <laughs> <laughs> Is everybody crying yet? Oh, well, some of you may have tuned in late, so <laughs> probably not. Um, well... It is almost seven, and Alex must be ready to go because he told me I'm home. Okay, <laughs> Alex. Oh, Jan, you inspire the the greatest conversations. You really do, and I'm sorry that I derail them with silliness. But um, no, <laughs> it it needs it. Trust me. Hang on, try to find the right window. Ah, oh, here we go. <laughs> at least, at least he's like the first one. <laughs> yeah. At, at least it's not like. Um, we're having to bring on Xavier every week. That would be bad. A lot of scrolling, yeah. Scroll <clears throat> all the way down. Good evening, Alex. Hi, Alex. Good evening. Hello. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Good evening, and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 6-8-2015. Hi, Alex. How are you this evening? Uh, I'm just back from a trip, so I'm, I'm getting caught up. Okay. <laughs> how how was it? Uh, very brief and a little hectic, but uh, very, I'm very, very brief. <laughs> well, um, at least it was something that had nothing to do with vaping. So yes. it was kind of a kind of a change. Yeah, it was a it was a personal trip, so um, that was good. Uh, I did, however, meet a uh, a fellow vapor while in Canada. Nice. And uh, that was that was that was fun. Um, yeah. We both broke out our our devices while sitting at, at lunch um, <laughs> in a restaurant, and uh, of course, we both vaped away, and no one said anything. Um, yeah. I'm not I'm not entirely certain certain of the law. I don't know if the entire province of Quebec has prohibited uh, use in public places, but um, whatever. No one said anything to us, so we were fine. It's <laughs> a good thing. Well, I, I think most, I think even when they make these laws, I think most people are unaware of them. <laughs> so, um, you know. Yes, for a, for a combination of reasons, one of which being the laws are ridiculous. So, um, uh, yeah, no surprise that a five-year-old law in New Jersey is seldom followed. Um, don't know well, why it should be followed anywhere else. Well, did you see what they're trying to do this week? <laughs> <sighs> I, man, I don't even know. I'm just getting with what hit at the end of last week um, mm-hmm. that is still an ongoing issue. Um, I, I haven't even begun. I know, I know that New York is looking at um, a bill. I don't have it in front of me. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an assembly bill. Right. Um, which we haven't. It's It actually was not in that. We released a call to action for New York back in January. And it had, I think, half a dozen bills that were pre-filed or had just been introduced. Right. Um, this was not one of them. It is one of... <laughs> It is one of, I believe, three or four indoor use bans uh, in the state of New York. Um, so uh, mentioning 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 it should suffice for linking to it in the description um, for this update. Uh, I, I assume we will get a call to action out. I just I seriously just walked in the door like 15 minutes ago, so I haven't had a chance to see. Okay. how that hearing went, um, probably won't see much of an update until tomorrow. Um, okay. but something to be on the lookout for. And yes, I mean, there's still, like I said, you know, there's half a dozen bills or more. I think somebody may have counted up nine bills in New York. Um, some of them are not a threat. Uh, mm-hmm. like the, the, I believe the flavor ban in New York. Um, I, I, I believe that, uh, is it Rosenthal? Um, Rosenbaum, Rosen something. Rosenthal. 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 Um, yeah. She expressed a lack of enthusiasm in pursuing that bit of legislation this year, so um, uh, that may not be much of an issue. Anyway, enough of New York. <laughs> just, I just spent most of my day driving through New York, so I'm should I it. should I tell you about New Jersey so you can get excited and happy? Um, okay. New Jersey, um, recently filed legislation. I I don't know exactly when they're going to vote on it, but I was reading it the other day. Um, they plan on banning smoking cars with children. That's fine. Except that Mm. they add the definition of vaping to the definition of smoking. So, well, thanks to the indoor clean air act, um, smoking now includes vaping everywhere. So anytime you see any kind of smoking prohibition creeping up in New Jersey, it sort of automatically includes vaping unless they go that extra mile to exclude it, which there is a bill um, currently in the assembly that would carve out an exemption for vapor shops. Nice. Um, But uh, New Jersey is one of those states that goes of all year long so we've got a few months left before anything dramatic happens with that okay but uh yes i did actually see the uh no vaping in cars with minors bill um yeah (laughs) something to get psyched up about i'm i'm sure we'll be talking about it in the future yeah i'm real excited for it um well, to, to the nitty-gritty here, um, I assume that most people who follow our um, what we put out closely mm-hmm. are aware that there is a huge battle going on in Kansas um, that is so much larger than vaping, uh, but uh, apparently Kansas is in a lot of trouble, um, and our issue is sort of swept up in the mix. Um, I, I, like I said, just walked in the door, so I'm not actually sure where the 
Kansas legislature is <laughs> with any particular bill. Um, but following posts on Facebook, uh, it, it sounds like there is a very somewhat potentially disastrous tax bill um, going through uh, the House. This includes a 20 cent per milliliter tax on e-liquid. Um, this, I believe, should be no secret. This is something that's being advanced by R.J. Reynolds. Mm -hmm. um, they managed to get the kind of tiered distribution uh, regulation out of this bill, um, but the tax is still on the table <clears throat> because the state, I believe, is still trying to come up with $400 million. I've heard everything from $400 million to $780 million. It tends to go back and forth depending on what bills have been passed at any given hour. So um, Kansas is a huge mess, and I, for I think the past three or four days now, we've been told that this could happen today. All of this could be over today, and it sort of drags on into the next day. So, um, and we've had sort of some lukewarm participation um, in Kansas on our call to action. Uh, other people have been doing stuff. So apparently, folks have have actually been engaging with lawmakers to the extent that they can. Um, this is. The the, the the legislature sort of gone into overtime. They haven't sort of gone. They are actually in overtime here. So um, legislative staffers have gone home for the session. There's nobody answering phones. Um, if you if you get through to anybody, I, I guess I guess lawmakers are answering their cell phones. Um, and <laughs> there's email, which may or may not be be getting read. Um, it doesn't really sound like they have a whole lot of time. And um, uh, then, of course, there was sort of a, 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 some back and forth on Twitter over the weekend. Um, so uh, just it's a really dramatic situation there. Uh, our call to action is still up. It's still active. Um, I actually had to update one of the links in, uh, on our website. But anyway, um, so that's Kansas. Uh, this, hopefully will not get any worse than a 20 cent per milliliter tax. Um, and fingers crossed, we just don't have a tax at all. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, Kansas, that's that. Um, the next thing that will probably be blowing up this week is Louisiana. Um, I believe this was SB 119. I don't know if the bill number has changed. Um, but, uh, this is another one of those very tiny, you know, it appears to be palatable taxes, um, you know, five, 10 cents, something like that. Um, and, uh, again, being likely pushed by a major tobacco company. Um, and, uh, I, I'm, I apologize for being unprepared today. Um, it, this is, again, it, you know, the end of the session tends to be where everybody, I guess, starts to work on these revenue issues. And so it's down to the wire. There's a lot of stuff that absolutely has to pass in order to keep the government open. And uh, so 
things like this, I think, are likely to be snuck in at the last minute. Um, so I believe we do have a call to action up and running for Louisiana. Yes, we do. Um, see, I updated this last week. Um, as far as I know, this is still in play. Uh, and uh, I know that there are folks reaching out to vendors in Louisiana, um, trying to get them engaged and hopefully getting their customers engaged. Um, but uh, yeah, this is something that, that could move quickly. And uh, like I said, it's a small, it's a five cent per milliliter tax. Um, so, you know, it just, I, I have to, emphasize this again because I, I found myself in a brief conversation on Facebook with somebody questioning how five cents per milliliter was at all damaging. Um, and, and just so we're clear, once the language is in the code, it's very easy to bump that up. Mm -hmm. um, there was already, I believe, an attempt this year. I, I don't think it went very far, but there, I think there was an attempt to raise the uh, existing e-liquid tax in North Carolina, which I believe just this month went into effect. So it hadn't even gone into effect yet. And people right. are talking about raising it. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, Minnesota saw another attempt to raise their tax on e-liquid. Um, what was just a wholesale tax would have been a tax on consumable material. Um, so again, uh, they could charge, you know, a fraction of a cent per milliliter and we would come out and oppose it just as strongly. Oh, yeah. uh, there, there is no gray area with these taxes. Mm -mm. So, no, once the language is there, they can run with it. We oppose all taxation. As a consumer group, that's our prerogative, I think. So... Yes. Uh, so Kansas, Louisiana, and I got a note from Aaron Frazier from uh, Utah Smoke Free Association. Uh, June 17th, it's a Wednesday, um, the Utah Revenue and Taxation Interim Committee will be meeting, and item three on their agenda is taxation of e-cigarettes. Um <laughs> Obviously, this is sort of out of session. So as far as I understand it, um, you know, they're not voting on any legislation, but this is an opportunity for stakeholders to get engaged. Uh, there is even a little line in here for public comment. So um, I know that Aaron is working on putting out their call to action. Um, we will likely put something out as well. Um, fortunately we've got a good, uh, we've got a good week lead into this. So, um, Utah, you're on alert again. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, and of course, and I just want to mention this because of course, usually I get these on a Friday, but they rolled in today. Um, I have a bunch of local alerts that I just want to mention so that we can link into it. Um, 
again, I usually only get 24-hour notice on these, so this might not actually um, be very helpful. Um, I don't know how much of this I'm actually going to get done tonight, um, but uh, there is a whole slew of local alerts. I'm just going to rattle through the names. Um, Coconino County, Arizona. Uh, Paramus Borough, New Jersey. I, I read that. That's uh, bumping up the age to 21. Okay. Uh, I, man, I can't pronounce that. Sagadahawk <laughs> County, Maine. If anybody is from Sagadahawk County, Maine, <laughs> and they hear this and they'd like to correct me, <laughs> please send a video response to... <laughs> <laughs> our YouTube channel because um, we'd love to pronounce your county name properly and um, uh, oh this is for county owned vehicles and property um, so I'll have to look into that and see how that's written but uh, that's sort of like prohibiting use in city hall not a huge deal uh, unless of course you work for the county then you might want to take it up with your supervisor um, Upper Arlington Ohio this is a third alert. Um, not quite sure. It looks like uh, raising the age of sale to 21. Tobacco 21. That's going to be big this year. Yeah. Yeah, it's going all over the place. It is. Um, and it really is unfortunate that e-cigarettes are getting lumped. <laughs> it's unfortunate that e-cigarettes are getting mm -hmm. lumped in with all of this everywhere, but. Um, yeah, again, this is one of those things that I think, you know, you're doing 18-year-old, you know, to be honest, and, and this is not to, this is not a an endorsement of saying that kids should should use these products, but, uh, you know, in all honesty, you're doing 16-year-olds a pretty big disservice by um, making these all that much more difficult to get um, because, they're still going to get cigarettes. It's still going to be relatively easy for them to get combustible tobacco. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think that I, I actually believe that some of the studies that were presented in the, at the Sabata conference in Chicago and, you know, some of the stuff that we're going to see and, and other conferences, a lot of the emerging, emerging science is showing that um, these products, you know, nicotine removed from from the cigarette smoke uh, is is presenting less of an, an abuse liability or addiction mm -hmm. liability, however okay. you choose to just uh, define either one of those terms. <laughs> so, um, yeah, again, that's just. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and of course, California, Santa Clara County, California, again, is, uh, <laughs> Tobacco Twenty One. Um, just all of California, uh, <laughs> from now until the end of time, you are always on high alert for everything. Just He's not if, wrong. <laughs> if you imagine that there could or should be a law about something, there's probably a lawmaker in California already <laughs> contemplating it. Um, so might just dream up something that they might regulate and go ahead and write a letter about it. That's and you can probably get the mark. <laughs> so I think that's all I've got um, okay. because I just walked in the door and haven't checked a whole lot of stuff. Kansas was the big drama this weekend. 
and um, uh, I did get some encouraging news out of Ohio. Um, I'm going to have to. Uh, I, I think there's still a chance that Ohio is. Um, let's see. Looks like the Senate president uh, in Ohio was acknowledging the harm reduction potential of electronic cigarettes, um, which is which is a great thing, uh, and may very well make arguments supporting attacks on these products very weak. So um, there seems to be a little ray of hope in Ohio. Um, of course, all the more reason for people to continue sending emails to their lawmakers, encouraging them to oppose any tax on these products. Um, nice. But uh, that that's not a bad bit of good news to end up uh, an update with. No, it's it's very good news. Um, and uh, when I'm done, I will come give you a hand. Okay. What I can. I like, yeah, like I said, I don't know how many of these we're actually going to just um, so. Right. Just um, if you just if you just forward stuff to me in in my email, I'll um, take a look when I'm done. See what I, I can that. see what I can wrangle up. Cool. Happy to. Cool. And so, as always, um, please. Uh, Take action and uh, encourage your lawmakers to support HR twenty fifty eight. Not yes. just not just support it, but uh, co sponsor. Co sponsor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and that's it for me. Um, thank you, Alex. Uh, if you're not already a member of CASA, please join CASA. You can find us at casa.org. Uh, come join the conversation on our official Facebook page, which would be kasad.org uh, on Facebook. And um, there's the member group, We Are Kasa. Um Those are the official Facebook pages. Um, we Are Kasa Media on Twitter, Instagram. Oh, God, I don't even know what else. But, uh, yeah, just search kasad.org or Kasam Media. In Google, and you will find us. Um, please join us so that we can help you fight unjust laws and taxation. Um, thank you, Alex. Have a good night, and I'll see you in a bit. Great. Thanks. Good night. See you. Jenny, you can unmute now. Okay. <laughs> doesn't that sound like fun no <laughs> oh come on somebody's got to do it right no so Jan Alex yes. thank you thank you because what you do would push me right over that last little bit of the cliff edge that keeps me from full on fucking crazy uh, <laughs> you think we're sane no, I said the last little edge of the cliff. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying. Um, yeah. Oh, let's see. I 
talked about the wonderful David Hastert. Please kill me. Um, I said I was going to do two on aerial surveillance. And I guess I'll get right to both of those. And the first one, I believe, it's a come from Gawker or um, where am I? I'm sorry about that. It's 57 pages. I'm scrolling through here. <laughs> so it, it's, it, 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 oh, I'm sorry, 82. I thought it was only 52. My bad. Um, so this, generally speaking, takes a little bit. And um, oh, I'm getting close. Yay. Only got to get up to page five, three. Oh. Ah, from Wired. What an NYPD spy copter reveals about the FBI spy planes. I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody knows about the unmarked Cessnas that are flying around surveilling everything. Pretty sure. And up until, oh, a few months ago, anybody who talked about it was thought to be crazy. Yeah, they're not crazy. It should have surprised no one that the FBI has a secret fleet of spy, spy, whatever, spy planes it uses domestically to watch us, as the Associated Press reported this week. The Associated Press is about three months behind the news. Wired published a story about surveillance aircraft spotted flying in unusual patterns in California and Virginia back in 2006. And the Wall Street Journal reported last year that the U.S. Marshal Service has surveillance planes that use so-called dirt boxes to track mobile phone users on the ground. But long before this, the New York Police Department had high-tech surveillance helicopters that had operated in 2003 through a government grant and exposed publicly to the media that year when it gave journalists a tour of the $10 million toy. Wired began investigating the chopper in 2008 and uncovered, but hadn't published until now, information about the precise surveillance components installed on it and the methods the NYPD used to conceal its ownership and operation. Like the FBI, the NYPD used a shell company to register the aircraft, but the NYPD also requested special undercover registration handling from the FAA to thwart hacking um, and tracking by aviation enthusiasts who might spot it in the air and attempt to investigate the registration number associated with it. The NYPD also asked the FAA to notify its aviation unit if anyone contacted the agency inquiring about the aircraft. This raises serious questions about how many government agencies are operating them in the U.S. and exactly how they're being used. Last month, the, secret, the issue of secret law enforcement aircraft began gathering attention after plane spotters around the country began reporting suspicious aircraft registered to shell companies that were flying unusual routes over numerous cities. The AP caught on to the stories and this week published its own piece identifying some 50 surveillance craft that were registered to more than a dozen shell companies and were being used by FBI field offices around the country. The response to that story has been mixed. Some readers were shocked by the secret flights and Big Brother surveillance. Others scoffed at the alarm the AP appeared to be inciting, arguing that spy planes are just another surveillance tool law enforcement uses to monitor suspects in areas, or for lengths of time. They couldn't otherwise monitor through conventional means, by foot or car. 
for example, authorities used a special surveillance helicopter with thermal imaging equipment in 2013 to spot the Boston Marathon bomber as he lay hidden beneath a tarp covering a stored boat. But regardless of the utility of high-tech surveillance aircraft, their use raises serious questions about how many agencies are operating them in the U.S. and how exactly they're being used and to what end. The AP story didn't provide much detail about the technology aboard the FBI planes other than to note that some carry imaging systems that can capture video from long distances, even at night, while others have stingrays or dirt boxes on board to capture cell phone signals. But detailed information about what the NYPD has on board its spy copter is available and can serve to further enlighten. The New York Police Department is the nation's largest local law enforcement agency, and it generally leads the way in acquisition of modern equipment. Where it goes, the rest of the country tends to follow. So an examination of its aerial surveillance capabilities can be instructive for understanding what other law enforcement agencies around the country may be using. The NYPD surveillance activities can also be instructive in other means. The department has repeatedly been criticized for its overzealous spy programs, including at least one documented case involving its spy copter. So concerns about abuse of such aircraft are not unfounded. $10 million spy jewel. The public first learned about the NYPD's Bell 412EP surveillance helicopter in October 2003, when a regional New York newspaper published a small story unveiling the recently purchased $9.8 million jewel, the specially modified copter, which the department kept parked at Floyd Bennett Airfield in Brooklyn, was unmarked, meaning it carried no insignia identifying it as a law enforcement aircraft. Acquired through a Justice Department grant, it was customized with a photo and video surveillance system capable of capturing clear images of license plates or the faces of individuals from a thousand feet away. It could even, the story noted, pick up the catcher signals at Yankee Stadium. It was described as the most advanced in use by any police force at the time, and Police Commissioner Ray Kelly noted that it would be used to fight conventional crime, conduct search and rescue missions, and play a key role in anti-terrorism efforts. The NYPD referred to the helicopter only as 23, a reference to the number of police officers killed in the 9-11 terrorist attacks, and initially the aircraft had no registration number painted on its tail or side. In later investigating the aircraft, Wire learned that in 2003, the NYPD had asked the FAA to change the original registration aircraft number from N2411X to a special one containing the 23 reference, N23FH, believed to be a reference to 23 fallen heroes. NYPD Deputy Inspector Joseph Gallucci also wrote the FA at the time asking that the registration be handled in an undercover manner and that any inquiries on the registration number be flagged and reference to Robert Keichel in the NYPD's aviation unit. Wired obtained documents for the aircraft only after learning the original registration number and filing an FOIA request with the FAA. The camera could beam live footage to police command centers below or to wireless devices in the hands of police commanders. Five years after the 2003 story about the helicopter was published, the public learned more about the technology installed on the helicopter from an AP article published about it in 2008. 
That piece described three flat screen monitors on board that were displaying the Statue of Liberty sightseers from a mile and a half away. It also described the high power camera mounted in a turret below the chopper's nose that had infrared night vision capabilities and satellite navigation to zoom in on any address typed into its computer. The system could beam live footage to police command centers below or to wireless devices in the hands of police commanders in the field. The helicopter had been used, the story noted, to track fleeing suspects and to patrol the skies during a visit by Pope Benedict to New York. Hang on a second. Sorry. Had to take a drink. A privacy advocate interviewed for the story raised concerns about how the helicopter might be abused, but John Diazzo, crew chief for the aircraft, replied, Obviously, we're not looking into apartments. We don't invade the privacy of individuals. We only want to observe anything that's going on in public. But the NYPD's surveillance helicopter had, in fact, already been involved in at least one privacy controversy in the time Diazio made his remark. On the night of August 27, 2004, an officer aboard a helicopter was monitoring several thousand bicyclists conduct a street protest prior to the Republican National Convention when he directed the copter's cameras to a nearby balcony. For nearly four minutes, he lingered on a music executive and his girlfriend having sex on the terrace of the executive's Second Avenue penthouse. Jeffrey Rosner, the executive, later said he had no idea the helicopter was watching him, let alone filming him. It was dark outside, and Rosner and his girlfriend were shielded by a wall of shrubs, but the camera's thermal imaging system saw right through those obstacles and caught them in their intimate embrace. When you watch the tape, it makes you feel kind of ill, Rosner later told the New York Times. The surveillance only came to light after one of the bicyclists on the ground was arrested and demanded to see footage from the helicopter's camera. A police spokesman told the Times that police sometimes videotape rooftop activity if they thought someone might be in a position to throw objects at officers below. In this instance, the officer was instructed afterward to terminate taping once it was determined a threat did not exist, he said. Other cases of abuse might still exist, but the NYPD has fought efforts by the ACLU and others to obtain information about its spy aircraft, so it's hard to know for sure. Shell companies and schematics. One of the most intriguing aspects of the recent FBI spy plane stories is the revelation of the web of shell companies the agency had used to register the fleet, all with three-letter names like FVX Research, KQM Aviation, and PXW Services. Many of the shell companies have addresses in Bristow, Virginia, making it easy to signal them out. The NYPD's helicopter, as previously noted, was also registered to an apparent shell company, this one called Montero Incorporated, in Brooklyn, New York. FAA records show that Montero took ownership of the aircraft from Bell Helicopter, the manufacturer, in 2003. Stephen Vance, identified as president of Montero, signed the registration papers. But efforts by Wired in 2008 and later to locate Vance and his company were unsuccessful. The Montero address listed on the FAA documents, 15786 Street, Suite 249, Brooklyn, New York, was the addresses for mailboxes, etc., a company that provides post office box services to multiple customers. Oddly, after being registered to Montero for more than a decade, the helicopter's registration recently reverted back on April 10th from Montero to Bell Helicopter in Texas. 
In addition to revealing the shell's ownership, however, the FAA documents for the NYPD helicopter proved interesting for another reason. They provided a detailed list of all the components and modifications the Bell helicopter underwent to meet NYPD surveillance needs. Spy equipment added to the NYPD helicopter in 2003 includes a Westcam MX-15 video imaging system, also described as a thermal imager, and a Westcam Skypod B airborne microwave transmission system. The latter includes a GPS receiver that allows the camera to zoom in on unidentified locations. Additionally, there is a Cormorant CI-405 GPS antenna installed on the cockpit roof, a Shelton 931A direction finding system, and a Datong tracking system for tracking targeted electronic beacons. The latter is presumably for monitoring GPS trackers that law enforcement agencies place surreptitiously on vehicles. The equipment installed in the helicopter was likely state-of-the-art at the time it was placed in the aircraft in 2003, but in the intervening decade, it has no doubt been surpassed by more powerful technologies. One thing that apparently wasn't installed on the helicopter at the time was a stingray, a device some call, sometimes called an IMS eye-catcher or dirt box. Very, you're sleeping. <laughs> that simulates a cell phone tower in order to trick mobile devices. You want me to play it? I'm just saying. It's the only time it appears Stand in this whole thing. Stand by for action! We are about to launch Stingray. Anything can happen in the next half hour. I'm just saying thank God I got to take a drink. Thank you. Thought we've woken everybody up again as well. Yeah. That's that's okay. They needed they needed waking up. Um Okay, in IMS eyecatcher dirt box that simulates a cell phone tower in order to trick mobile phones and other devices into connecting to them and revealing their location. Stingrays don't just affect targeted phones. They pick up signals emanating from every mobile device in an area and allow authorities not only to track the devices, but with additional information to identify who might be carrying them. The FBI told the AP that its surveillance planes use stingrays, but only in limited situations, and that their use now requires a court order. Sure. A Wall Street Journal story published last year revealed that the U.S. Marshal Service also operates surveillance planes equipped with stingrays. It's not known if the NYPD helicopters use them as well. 
While law enforcement is using aircraft to secretly spy on people, there are tools available to spy on planes. The irony around the recent revelations about the FBI and U.S. Marshal Service spy planes is that while these law enforcement agencies have been using the aircraft to secretly monitor people on the ground, people on the ground have been monitoring the spy planes. The AP and others have been able to track the movement of the FBI surveillance planes using FlightAware.com, a website that is FlightAware.com, that displays animated maps showing the routes that the aircraft owned by the FBI and others take based on aircraft registration numbers, flight plans, and other data. Unfortunately, helicopters aren't as easily tracked. The last flight path available on FlightAware for NYPD's N-23FH spy plane is from September 2011 when the helicopter flew from New York, Pennsylvania to Newark, New Jersey one Saturday morning. A representative for FlightAware told Wired that the site only tracks flights navigated by instrument, not ones navigated by visual means alone, the manner in which helicopters are generally flown. And helicopter pilots also don't generally file flight plans since they tend to remain within a single region. They'll file a flight plan, he said, only if they plan to leave the region and fly to another state, for example. As technologies advance, many of the piloted spycraft that currently populate the air from law enforcement agencies will eventually be replaced with unmanned drones that can do the same kind of surveillance at a fraction of the cost, while at the same time being harder to track. It's also unclear what kind of oversight will be put in place to ensure that agencies don't abuse them. A recent report by National Journal noted that only 14 states currently require law enforcement to obtain a warrant before using drones for surveillance. The friendly skies are getting much less friendly every day. Um, there's a link at the bottom of this. I already to, Thank you. To the report from Wired. On the yeah. NYPD plane. Yeah. This is When's Blue Thunder going to be showing up? <laughs> I have no idea, but uh, gee, as soon as I saw that thing from Boeing today, <laughs> I was like, oh, look, it's Skynet. Yay! <laughs> okay. This is a story from Fusion, written by a nice lady named Cashmere Hill, and it's called How You Can Track the FBI Spy Planes, just in case you were wondering. This week, the Associated Press reported that the FBI is regularly flying spy planes over American cities. It's the latest in a series of media reports about government-operated planes outfitted with technology that mimics a phone tower, yes, we know, to pick up information from phones of people below, allowing agencies to locate fugitives on the run, for example. But when planes fly overhead, to pick up phone information from lots of innocent people as well, and annoyingly can disrupt phone service, which is really bad if you need to dial 911. The report, which revealed the front companies the FBI uses to fly the planes, wasn't a surprise to John Wiseman, a technologist in Los Angeles. Based on public records, he had already figured out some of the planes the FBI was flying and, using a device he programmed to intercept plane transmissions, had identified over the last month the ones flying overhead in L.A. in real time. The thing is, when you fly planes in the U.S., you have to fill out lots of official forms that become part of the public record. Because the FBI didn't want to publicly acknowledge it was sending spy planes out to circle American cities and potentially alert its targets, it created a front company for them. Or it created front companies for them. It seems the FBI is uncreative when it comes to spycraft. 
the fake companies tracked down by the AP and Wiseman mainly had three-letter names, including FVK Research, KQM Aviation, MBR Aviation, PXW Services, etc. Because flight records in the U.S. are public and planes are trackable on radar, the AP was able to track down where these planes flew. You can also track them fairly easily if you're so inclined. Wiseman used public records to get flight routes and real-time local information using a customized radio receiver that picks up information, um, I'm sorry, picks up transmissions sent by aircraft overhead in his hometown of Los Angeles. Wiseman wrote in a Hacker News comment in May about his findings, revealing a month ago what the AP reported today. He also summed up his findings in a blog post on Tuesday. <sighs> After a Washington Post report revealed the tail number of an FBI spy plane that blew over Baltimore, Wiseman tracked it down to a company that was registered to in the FAA database and saw it shared addresses with a bunch of other fake-looking companies with two- and three-letter names. Through data analysis and airplane form scouring, he realized the spy planes associated with these companies were using distinct transmission codes or squawk, as well as unique call sign, leading him to believe the planes he was seeing overhead with some frequency were probably operated by the feds. I decided to check my database for planes that have squawked 4415-4415 or used one of the suspicious call signs. I found eight aircraft in the past two months, several of which exhibit suspicious behavior, he wrote on Hacker News last month, naming several of the suspicious companies cited in today's AP report. Flying for hours at a time without going anywhere in particular, I don't have any position information for them, but I know they're in the air and not leaving the L.A. area, flying around almost every day for months at a time. In the past two months, I've tracked N404KR, suspected FBI surveillance plane over Los Angeles on 21 days, often flying four hours at a time. John Wiseman at La Monador, May 7th. 2015. How times have changed. Before you could assume an internet commenter writing about government spy planes flying over his house was crazy, but now it's possible he's just a badass citizen journalist. And Wiseman was not the only civilian to piece this together. A Redditor has photos of an FBI spy plane a co-worker tracked down to a local airport after seeing it fly overhead repeatedly in Phoenix. If you want to track planes... Brian Abelson, an engineer at public data analysis tool Enigma, has created an easy way to access relevant public records. Using the information about the FBI front companies revealed by the AP, he created a database of what he thinks are 84 spy planes currently in use by the agency by looking up the registration numbers associated with planes owned by the companies. Albison's list includes links to the plane's public flight radar information so you can see their past trips. You could also look up the past by searching for the plane's registration numbers on sites that track these things like Flight Radar 24 and FlightAware. So you can see, for example, the flight path. There's a picture that a spy plane took from North Carolina to Florida last year. If you're willing to mine public records, it can cut down significantly on government secrecy. Ironically, it's the same kind of mining that civil liberties Advocates worry spy agencies will do to us if they have access to the metadata and location information from our smartphones, a subject of heated debate over the last week 
in the context of the Patriot Act. I call what I'm doing persistent Sioux surveillance, using historical sensor data to retroactively identify and track new subjects. It's just that my subjects are the government, wrote Wiseman. One of the surprising things I found is that all you need to do is look. The weird stuff jumps out right away. E.g. Cessna's registered two fake-sounding companies that loiter overhead for hours every day. It's unclear if warrants are obtained for each of these flights. According to the AP's report, the FBI said that under a new policy and has recently begun obtaining court orders to use cell site stimulators, which is the kind of technology that is strapped to these planes. I doubt it's strapped to them. The FBI asked the AP not to publish the names of the front companies to spare the taxpayers the expense of changing them. Of course, as evidenced by Wiseman's digging, it was already possible to figure this out based on public records. An FBI spokesperson also told the AP that while lots of details of how it worked were confidential, the FBI's aviation program is not secret. It definitely isn't now. Yeah, that's kind of their their failure there. You know, you, you can't hide an aeroplane. I know. They're kind of big. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just kind of ridiculous. I mean, even the size of drone you need for the size of equipment they're using would be noticeable. Well, yeah, but I mean, I, the problem isn't just that they're doing it. The problem is they're doing it, getting caught, and then asking the newspapers to cover their ass. Yeah. You know. Um, no, I'm sorry, they, but is that new for the government? No. I'm just okay. saying. It, it's just ridiculous. They have this really cozy relationship with the news. And, like, did you know that there were people that just found this shit out? I didn't. Know that there were people just like, huh. Let's see what they're doing. I mean, I knew, but I didn't know that it was a big deal. But it well, is kind of a big yeah. deal. Because I mean, um, if one... I'm, I'm kind of sky aware. So I kind of know what aircraft regularly fly around where I live. <laughs> right. So if I see uh-huh. a new one, it's going to attract my attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's a good thing. I, um... I'm happy that people are finally doing to the government what the government is doing to us, which is kind of the only good thing about the surveillance state is if we can't hide, they can't hide. Yeah. That, that's the only good part about this. If you're going to spy on us, okay. If you want our metadata, okay, but you leave metadata too. And it only takes one or two people that are really motivated and concerned to figure out what the hell you're doing. I just, I don't get it. What are you possibly getting from this? I don't know. I'm just cranky about it, I guess. I don't know why. Probably because I don't like it. I, I have an attraction to that pesky Fourth Amendment thing. I like it. You know, it assumes that shit like this won't be happening to me. But it is. Anybody else have any thoughts about that? No, ma'am. Okay. Um, let's go down to... There's so many happy stories. Um, I like the story about the schools. 
Yeah, I'm I'm get I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I've only got to go like sixty more pages. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I thought, holy fuck, there's a lot of show notes here. Yeah, there are. But I, I don't I don't do all of them. I get so depressed sometimes I can't. I'll do that one and then I've got to do the one about the really long one. <laughs> I'm getting there. Sorry about this, guys. I'm usually a little more prepared than this. Of course, just sort of go up and down and up and down. Hey, I get all confused when you, yeah, when they don't go in order. I'm like, shit, let me find them. <laughs> I never. Links, and I really try to be the one that puts the links in chat. I know. Doesn't always. Oh, you, you do better than me. Trust me. Idaho school districts buy guns to ensure student safety. This month, a remote Idaho school district to which it takes law enforcement officers approximately 45 minutes to travel has purchased firearms and trained six staff members to use them in the event of a school shooting, the Associated Press reports. According to the AP, limited funds have prevented the Garden Valley School District from hiring police officers to patrol the district's single school building where all 300 students in the district are taught. I hope we never have to use them, the school board member Alan Ward said. But in the event something did happen, we wanted to be prepared. You just constantly are hearing about school invasions, and we simply do not want to have that occur in our district, Ward told KBOI-TV. But according to the AP, the Idaho Department of Education reports that less than 10 weapon-related incidents, including guns, knives, and explosives, have been reported in the past two years. Garden Valley is in a unique circumstance, Boise County Sheriff Ben Rover told Idaho Education News. Where they are located geographically, we don't have the staffing size to where we can guarantee safety. School board did not disclose how many or what type of firearms were purchased or where they would be stored, the AP reports. Ward estimated that the school spent about $3,500 on ammunition and training. The rest was donated by the community. Read that last line one more time. The rest was donated by the community? Yep, that line right there. Yeah. Hmm. So anybody that wants to bitch about it, shut the fuck up. Obviously, the community where the school is knew exactly what they were doing, and they're their kids. So they have the right to say what does and does not happen there, and they thought that this was appropriate. Go you. Well, I will say, you know, uh, could be a whole new type of detention in that school. (laughs) (laughs) It could be. Kids are not going to be bitching at the teacher. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, they say six staff members. They don't say which six. Yeah. <laughs> Better be nice to that lunch lady. You just don't know. You don't know. Okay. As long as it's not uh, one of the, as long as it's not one of the um, physical education teachers, because they're all crazy <laughs> enough. <laughs> don't want to be giving them guns too. You know, and what's really funny is, um, and it's starting to become more common again, and I think it is a good thing. Um, I know all of the people that call me a gun nut um, will think otherwise. But when I was in high school, um, the NRA rifle team, we practice 
at the school. We fired live ammunition mm-hmm. at the school. I grew up on a farm. Nobody was ever shot and killed. Nobody was ever harmed. Ever. But I mean, Fun- I grew up on a farm enough, where yeah. if we wanted to eat, yeah. you had to harvest the animals yourself. Grow it, raise it, hunt it. Cook it, clean it, kill it. Yeah, all well, that I stuff. I mean, Jeannie, where I grew up, the, the, there, there, were, there was ammunition fired at school. But literally, it was fired at the school. By disgruntled oh, kids, usually. <laughs> yeah. Summer holidays. What will we do? Let's shoot some windows in the school. Oh, yeah, my <sighs> husband and I were talking, you know, and it was not uncommon um, when we were kids, and it wasn't all that long ago. I know it might seem like a long fucking time to you people, but just be quiet. It wasn't. <laughs> but there were kids that hunted on their way to school. When they got to the school, they walked in the front office. They handed the second the secretary their hunting rifle. The secretary kept it in the front office until school was dismissed. When they picked up their hunting rifle and walked home. Yeah, when I when I was when when I was younger, yeah, people people didn't have firearms as such at school. But yeah, loads of people used to wander about with their air guns. <laughs> It really just depends on where you grow up and the sort of mindset you have. I grew up up north, but I was taught by very smart people. I had a military family. If you pick up a gun, you better be prepared to use it. Don't point it at anyone as a joke. Um, You know, and it isn't the weapon. It's a tool. You're the weapon. So um, it just depends on the mindset, and a lot of people don't have that mindset today. Well, We've me, become me such a wussy ass bunch of fucking crybabies. Yeah. <laughs> me, me and my stepbrothers did the get into trouble. The fucking Boy Scouts have just banned squirt gun fights and water <laughs> balloons. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. No, she's Spud not. guns as well. Uh, they're yeah. banned loads of places. But yeah, I was going to say, me and my uh, stepbrothers got into trouble. Not from the police or anything. Uh, from our families. Uh, when they discovered um, us and some friends of ours were running about the woods shooting each other <laughs> with their guns. You know the little low power ones with the pop out barrels? Uh-huh. The really cheap air guns. Those. Uh, but the reason we got into trouble wasn't just that we're shooting each other. It's because we're using the darts not the pellets. Okay. So we're coming home with holes. <laughs> hey, taught you to dodge fast. <laughs> that will teach you to quicken up your reflexes. That's yeah. absolutely true. When you look at it now, yeah, it was insane. But hey, we were having fun at the time. Yeah, well. Um, you know, boys do stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's true. I was the only girl in my house, so trust me, I know. <laughs> well, always do stuff did, like that. Yeah, we used to... <laughs> well, I'm here to tell you, we used to have BB gun wars. Yeah. And and I'm definitely a girl. I just patted my chest to find out. But yes, I'm, I'm definitely still a girl. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, we actually had BB gun wars. And, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we use somebody's dirtiest jackknife to dig a BB out of somebody's hand or their leg, their ass. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> I go home and say, hey, Mom, can you dig this out? My worst injury wasn't actually a penetrating one because my, je- my jeans stopped it. But it was a full uh, 12 foot pound shot from an air ri- a 2 air rifle. Uh, my whole thigh was one bruise. <laughs> that hurt. We, and we'll say that we never had anybody. Um, this was not like, what the hell is that Ralphie movie? <laughs> you, you, you I have Christmas Story. It's called um, The Christmas yeah, that. Story. That's it. Well, I can forget that because I haven't seen. I never saw that movie until about five years ago. Um, oh God, what rock do you live under? Yeah. Well, I know, I know, I do. I understand. And I don't watch but TV. My buddy, the my TV signal TV only got to Jeannie's house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah my friend uh, Mike Harris that owns PBDragon.com, Everybody kept calling him Ralphie, and mm-hmm. I'm like, "What the fuck is this Ralphie nonsense?" And they're like, "You know, Ralphie." I'm like, "Uh, no." They're like, "A Christmas Story." I'm like, "Uh, no." And he had an absolute conniption shit fit and sent me um, sent me the DVD. So, yeah, he does look like a grown-up Ralphie. But anyway, <laughs> nobody ever actually lost an eye because that was the one rule we had was if you ever hit anybody above the shoulders, you were never allowed to play again, ever. <laughs> so, you know, you didn't want to be excluded from the fun and games of shooting each other in the ass with a BB gun. Uh, <laughs> well, the most painful one is... A reed fired from a two-two air rifle, fired at your legs. That really hurts. It's like being shot and being whipped at the same time. No, you know what hurts very. What hurts is playing tag on motorcycles. That yeah. shit hurts. Well, we did it on quad bikes, but yeah, yeah um, that shit hurts. Yeah, kids aren't allowed near quad bikes in the UK much anymore. Are you the kidding whole, me? The whole tipping over and cracking your skull open seems to put what, people off. What fun is growing up without broken bones or stitches? I mean, really? Well, I do remember the first time I used a quad. I, I, I did the classic, I ran myself over. I'm sure you know what I mean. My foot slipped yeah. off the footrest. Yes. And the back wheel goes over your foot. Yeah. That damn well hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, I was better off than a friend of mine who did the same and dislocated his ankle. Jesus, you know what? People are listening to this going, Jan, you realize that bitch is crazy? (laughs) (laughs) We didn't have a movie theater in this town. We didn't have a skate. There was nothing for kids to do in this town, so we found ways to entertain ourselves, and we had lots of fun. Um, Resulted in some stitches and some cats and some use of crutches and things like that, but we still had fun, and nobody died. Yeah, my childhood years, yeah, it was mostly coming up with inventive ways of hurting each other by accident. Honest, Gav. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to shut up now. I I think um, think people would be surprised at how their parents grew up especially with the way the world is now yeah. La- I came in last first place I-, I remember my niece telling me that when she came home from school she was very little I was like what the hell is that Yeah, it's a shame there are no winners or losers every mo- anymore everyone gets everything we have this thing here forth. Jan where y- y- do you guys have tabs for tots there no D- okay um, St. Jude's and the Children's Hospital here, they have this thing, it's, it's tabs for tots, and they, they collect pop tabs, the tabs mm-hmm. off of pop cans. 
Right. Um, and it all goes to benefit the children's hospitals and St. Jude's research, which is all well and good. Um, but the the school that collected the most tabs mm-hmm. would get a pizza party and and a you know the mascot for the local radio station would come to their school and do this pizza party thing for them. Right. There was a school that got really irate over the fact that their kids didn't win and the radio station said that, you know, they only could do the party for the group that raised the most. Right. And the school was like going to boycott this tab collecting because of it. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Really? The fact that they were collecting these tabs and donating them for little kids cancer research wasn't enough? Yeah, for for some people, I guess it's just not enough. It doesn't make any sense to me either. A lot of things don't. Um, but eh. this is why I don't have children. Okay, uh, I said I was going to talk about this. So the Secret Service wants to monitor sarcasm on social media. The U.S. Secret Service has requested and we're... It is blue and says has requested that's a link to it um, that developers submit proposals for new software that will detect sarcasm on social media. The software must be capable of identifying influencers on social media as well as profile them through historical trends and data. The Secret Service would also like the software to work specifically with Windows 8. Ed Donovan, spokesman for the Secret Service, said... The request would allow the Secret Service to create its own system for monitoring Twitter, both its own footprint in social media and the important issues that are trending on the social network. I mean, this is from last year. So Donovan continued, for example, when people were holding purple tickets to the 2009 inauguration and were trapped inside a tunnel under the Capitol, unable to get through the security gates, the Secret Service could have perhaps done something about it with the right information. According to Donovan, the Federal Emergency Management Agency uses Twitter analytics to monitor for suspicious and sarcastic comments on social media. Well, Donovan, if it wasn't such a fucking joke, Jan, they wouldn't need to monitor for this shit. Okay. <laughs> um, Donovan claims detecting sarcasm is just a small feature of that monitoring. Our objective is to automate our social media monitoring process. Twitter is what we analyze. This is a real-time stream analysis. The ability to detect sarcasm and false positives is just one of 16 or 18 things we are looking at. We are looking for the ability to quantify our social media outreach. We aren't looking solely to detect sarcasm. Posting this work order indicates the ability for analytics that can process and synthesize large sets of social media data. According to the solicitation, the software must have the ability to detect sarcasm and false positives. Back in 2011, the Department of Homeland Security was monitoring social media using a software program that instructed analysis to create reports on certain items of interest that were found in social media searches, including policy directives and debates related to the department. And the interesting thing about all this, the reason I bring it up now, (laughs) not that I have the story linked here, but 
doesn't this just seem to be a waste? Well, yeah, because they'd have better start, things to do than listen to my sarcastic ass comments. Well, for a start, they're going to have to program the software to completely ignore the whole of the UK. <laughs> <laughs> Because the amount of sarcasm that we put on Twitter and Facebook and everything else would make the software melt. Um, <laughs> Very true. Because <laughs> that's how we communicate over here. Um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, and like when I say things like, "Well, aren't you fucking brilliant?" It would actually mean that I. It would actually know that I don't mean that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I thought reason- I was German. Must be I'm British. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, come over you, here. Plenty of room for sarcasm here. Always. There's never enough sarcasm. But um, the reason I mention this is that it's really one gigantic waste, but it's also something they're looking at. Like, they don't have to look at Facebook, apparently, because, you know, people put up pictures of what they had for lunch. <laughs> so they don't really need to look there. People willingly share plenty of stuff there. Um, But looking at Twitter just seemed like such a weird thing and such an odd thing to spend that amount of money on. And if you looked at the link, you saw how much they were willing to pay for that. So from a country that's Pentagon lost $8.5 billion, this seemed like a good idea. And it lost $8.5 billion in the last year. Has no idea where it went. That's That's a lot of fucking zeros. Yeah. They've got this really big sofa. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's down and behind every- the cushions. They should Again, know this that's one. UK sarcasm. Yes, it is. So, really? I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying. I mean, it, it's it's kind of ridiculous. Well, they need to... You know what they need to do to fix that, Jan? All they need to do is to increase the TSA by like tenfold, right? Because, I mean, the TSA collected $680,000 in, in abandoned change um, last year. So, I mean, fuck, you know, just, just the increased amount of useless TSA agents there are that are nothing but a waste of my time and money. And they'll find their billions of dollars. See, I thought, I didn't think TSA was a government agency. I thought we paid for them with our ticket prices. Don't we? I mean, I know they're overseen by a government agency. I just wasn't... Sh- I thought they were, like, independent contractors. Yeah, I mean, I'm are. not really sure. They're, most of them are contractors, yeah. yeah. Most of them are contractors, yes, but they fall under the purview, and I guarantee you that there are government contracts for that, and I do not believe that they are solely funded by ticket prices. No. There's too many of them. There's, there's yeah. two flights are cheap. Mm, I wouldn't say that. Uh, okay. Um, I said we were going to talk about Jackson v. San Francisco. Okay, this is Jackson v. San Francisco. This is from Reason Magazine. Uh, Supreme Court of the United States, that's SCOTUS, refuses to hear major gun rights case. Clarence Thomas files sharp dissent. Petition denied in Jackson v. San Francisco. The U.S. Supreme Court dealt Second Amendment supporters a major defeat today by refusing to hear an appeal filed by San Francisco gun owners seeking to overturn the city's requirement that all handguns kept at home and not carried on the owner's person be stored in a locked container or disabled with a trigger lock. Today's action by the court leaves that gun control ordinance on the books. 
If the facts of the San Francisco case sound familiar, it is because they correspond so closely to the facts at issue in the Supreme Court's 2008 ruling in District of Columbia v. Heller, which I think is an incomplete ruling. In that decision, the court voided not only D.C.'s ban on handguns, it also voided D.C.'s requirement that all firearms kept at home be unloaded and disassembled or bound by a trigger lock or similar device. According to Heller, the Second Amendment protects the right of the people to keep a lawful firearm in the home operable for the purpose of immediate self-defense. In other words, the San Francisco gun control law would appear to be plainly unconstitutional under Heller. Because it is. It is. Well, of course it is. Yet the court still refused to hear the case. As is customary, the justices gave no explanation for their denial of the appeal. Two justices, however, did speak out in opposition to the court's refusal to get involved. Writing in dissent, Justice Clarence Thomas, joined by Justice Anton Scalia, accused his colleagues of undermining Heller and failing to give the Second Amendment its constitutional due. Here is a portion of Thomas's dissent. Less than a decade ago, we explained that an ordinance requiring firearms in the home to be kept inoperable without an exception for self-defense conflicted with the Second Amendment because it made it impossible for citizens to use their firearms for the core lawful purpose of self-defense. District of Columbia v. Heller, 554, I'm sorry, 554 U.S. 570-630-2008. Despite the clarity with which we described the Second Amendment's core protection for the right of self-defense, lower courts, including ones here, have failed to protect it. Because Second Amendment rights are no less protected by our Constitution than other rights enumerated in that document, I would have granted this petition. And where it says here, Mm -hmm. that is Thomas's denial of centauri. If anybody is interested in reading that. So I thought that was kind of interesting and it was brand new today. So pastors. Uh, yeah, I won't read the thing about the heroin. I know it sounds like so much fun. A lot of these stories I pick because a lot of laws are being made based on fear. Oh, um, Jan, mm-hmm. the Transportation Security Administration, TSA, is an agency of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and has authority over the security of traveling public in the United States. Okay. Well, no, I, I just I yep. thought they were independent contractors. Nope, I went and looked it up. Okay. Cool. It, it doesn't make this lazy fucking pat down job they do any less or they're broken fucking scanners it doesn't make the it doesn't make it any more palatable either way um yeah wow I completely okay um LA Times editors advocate prosecution of sources Glenn Greenwald from the intercept I'm not going to read all of this because I love Glenn Greenwald. I love to read Glenn Greenwald. He will be fucking boring to everybody else. Two years ago, the first story based on the Snowden archive was published in The Guardian, revealing a program of domestic mass surveillance, which at least in its original form ended this week. To commemorate that anniversary, Edward Snowden himself 
reflected in a New York Times op-ed on the power of an informed public when it comes to the worldwide debate over surveillance and privacy. But we realized from the start this debate provoked by these disclosures would be at least as much about journalism as privacy or state security. And that was a debate we not only anticipated but actively sought, one that would examine the role journalism ought to play in a democracy and the proper relationship of journalists to those who wield the greatest political and economic power. That debate definitely happened, not just in the U.S., but around the world, and it was revealing in all sorts of ways. In fact, of all the revelations over the last two years, one of the most illuminating and stunning, at least for me, has been the reaction of many in the American media to Edward Snowden as a source. When it comes to taking the lead in advocating for the criminalization of leaking and demanding the lengthy imprisonment of our source, it hasn't been the U.S. government performing that role, but rather, just as it was the case for WikiLeaks disclosures, those who call themselves journalists. Just think about what an amazing feat of propaganda that is, one of, the mo- one of, one of which most governments could only dream Let's try to get journalists themselves to take the lead in demonizing whistleblowers and arguing that sources should be imprisoned. As much of an authoritarian pipe dream as that may seem to be, that is exactly what happened during the Snowden debate. As Digby put it yesterday, it remains to be seen if more members of the mainstream press will take its obligation seriously in the future. When the Snowden revelations came to light two years ago, it was a very revealing moment. Let's just say we got a good look at people's instincts. I'll never forget what I saw. So many journalists were furious about the revelations and were demanding prosecution for it that there should have been a club created called Journalists Against Transparency or Journalists for State Secrecy, and it would have been highly populated. They weren't even embarrassed about it. There was no pretense, no notion that those who want to be regarded as journalists should at least pretend to favor transparency, disclosures, and sources. They were unabashed about their mentality that so identifies with and subservient to the national security state that they view controversies exactly the same way as those officials. Someone who reveals information that the state has deemed should be secret belongs in prison, at least when those revelations affect poorly on U.S. officials. The reaction of American journalists was not monolithic. Large numbers of them expressed support for the revelations and for Snowden himself. Two of the most influential papers, the New York Times and Washington Post, themselves published Snowden documents, including, ironically, most of the stories which Snowden critics typically cite as ones that should not have been published. In the wake of a court ruling finding the domestic mass surveillance program likely unconstitutional, the New York Times editorial page argued that Snowden should be given clemency. Journalists awarded the Snowden... Journalists award awarded the Snowden-based reporting, the Pulitzer, the Polk, and the most other journalism awards. So there was plenty of journalistic support for the disclosures for journalism. Many recently have come around for the first time to advocating Snowden should not face prosecution. But large numbers of them went on the warpath against transparency. The Democrats' favorite legal analyst, Jeffrey Tubin, reportedly took to the airwaves of CNN and the pages of The New Yorker to vilify Snowden. The NSA whistleblower was so repeatedly and so viciously maligned by MSNBC hosts such as Melissa Harris-Perry, Ed Schultz, Joanne Reed, and Lawrence O'Donnell. I don't know who any of these people are. That one would have thought he had des- desecrated an Obama shrine. 
Had Snowden leaked during a GOP presidency, of course, MSNBC personalities would have erected a life-size statue of him outside of 30 Rock. <laughs> People like Bob Schieffer, I don't know who that is, and David I, Brooks. Do you do? That, Bob Schieffer, I know who that is. Okay. Within days of learning his name, reported to psychoanalyze him in the most banal yet demeaning ways. A national security journalist, frozen out of the story, continuously tried to insinuate themselves by speaking up in favor of state secrecy and arguing that Snowden should be imprisoned. I hadn't intend to use the two-year anniversary to write about these media issues until I read the editorial this week from the LA Times demanding that Snowden return to the U.S. and be prosecuted for his transparency crimes. Isn't it extraordinary that people who want to be regarded as journalists would write an editorial calling for the criminal prosecution of a key source? Principles aside, just on grounds of self-interest, wouldn't you think they'd want to avoid telling future sources that the Los Angeles Times believes leaking is criminal and those who do it belong in prison? The LA Times editors began by acknowledging that Snowden, not President Obama, is the ultimate author of the so-called surveillance reform enacted into law. They also acknowledge that American people have Snowden to thank for these reforms. Despite that, they're opposed to a pardon or to clemency. While generously conceding that Snowden has a strong statement for leniency, they nonetheless insist in a society of laws, someone who engages in civil disobedience in a higher cause should be prepared to accept the consequences. I see this argument often, and it's hard to overstate how foul it is. To begin with, if someone really believes that, they should be demanding the imprisonment of every person who ever leaked information deemed classified, since it's an argument that demands the prosecution of anyone who breaks the law, or at least consequences for them. That would mean dragging virtually all of Washington, which leaks constantly and daily, into a criminal court, to say nothing of their other crimes, such as torture. But of course, these high-minded media lecturers about the rule of law are only applied to those who are averse to Washington's halls of power, not to those who run them. I'll leave it at that. Goes on much longer than that. Yeah. Uh, it's true. Oh yeah, double standards is a wonderful thing. And yeah, newspapers love doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, your, your newspapers there, uh, you've still got one or two that actually practice serious reporting. The Guardian one of the better sources and one I actually enjoy reading. Mm -hmm. um, the Independent sometimes. It has On its occasion. moments. But, and you know, really, <laughs> there there aren't a lot of really good media sources here. I, I try to get the best of what I can every week to read it here. It was called investigative journalism and it meant something? I do. We, we've still got one or two. But unfortunately, some of the best that one of the best of them is a guy called Donald McIntyre, and unfortunately, he doesn't work for any of the major newspapers anymore. Uh, he now does, you know, like documentaries on some crime channel because it's the only ones that will pay him these days. But uh, he's a guy who you know got inside information on Eastern European uh, crime gangs and stuff like that. Went undercover with them, you know. He's a proper investigative journalist. Um, you don't see the likes of those too much anymore. Well, he he can't do that too much anymore, funnily enough, because he's pissed off an awful lot of criminals. <laughs> uh, 
who will shoot him if he <laughs> goes certain places. But yeah. yeah, that is one problem with that type of journalist. They can only they have quite short careers usually. Yeah, because once Which, they break a couple of big stories, yeah, all the criminals know their faces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so this is the last story. And here is a video before we even get started. This is what I'm going to talk about. Okay. This is from the blog called Death and Taxes. Oh, sorry, Jan. I have to tell you before you even start this that I read that link you put in there really quick and read Dancing with the Stars, and I'm thinking, what in the fuck? (laughs) Okay, so we're on the top story. I'm not even going to read the headline. In April, 44-year-old Kristen Radicki pulled up to the Cape Coral, Florida home of Sergeant Frederick Jenke, got out, and proceeded to dance like nobody was watching on the roof of Sergeant Jenke's car, which just happened to be the property of Lee County Sheriff's Office. Unfortunately, the surveillance camera at a neighbor's house caught everything, including the eight glorious moments of footage I stuck in the chat. As Radiki shook his groove thing, the sounds of soft rock provided the soundtrack. In his defense, I didn't write this, it's hard not to lose yourself in Rich Girl by Hall and Oates. That's just a great timeless song. However, things eventually became destructive when Radiki pulled the wipers off the car, then grabbed an American flag off the neighbor's property and waved it around Jenky's lawn. Uh, the reason for all of this was vampires. Uh, according to the police report obtained by the smoking gun, when he opened his front door, a woman with fangs was threatening him and told him that a human sacrifice was about to occur involving vampires. At that point, Radiki told the authorities that he made the conscious decision to get the sheriff of Nottingham to help him stop the slaughter of small children. It sounds totally reasonable. That, that salts anyone? <laughs> I thought it was funny. How yeah. funny, but I'm wondering if the dude was on bath salts. Just saying. Yeah, we have to find out what he'd been using, where we can get it, and how much it costs. Yeah, the usual. Yeah, because it uh, sounds like it was really good fun. Um, I don't know if you saw the video. No, I'll, I'll watch like, it afterwards. Yeah, I'm just in awe of the fact that people do shit like that. Stuff like that happens in the UK all the time. I don't know what you're on about. Oh, I don't know. I mean, you you guys have got something in the water over there. I've read more stories about like people going insane, taking their clothes off, running down the street, screaming, and chopping off their penis. I mean, you read things like that all the time from the yeah, UK exactly. papers. Yeah. Jesus. It's because we're a yeah. very c- condensed country. We've got a, For the amount of land we've got, we've got You, you have a, a condensed population. form of crazy. That's what you're saying, Barry. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Well, especially yeah. in Scotland, we've got shorter lifespans. We've got to squeeze a lot in in a short time. <laughs> well, I think that is all the alcohol. <coughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I don't know if you're aware, but one of the f- favourite drinks of a certain class of Scottish person is stuff called Buckfast Tonic Wine. It's kind of famous in the UK. It's made Sounds by like- monks. Um but it's uh, fortified wine that has caffeine in it. So it's a mixture of alcohol and caffeine. 
Get drunk faster. Liquid speed, they call it. <laughs> oh, I was yeah, going to say, it, it, it produces... almost sounded like Night Train until you said that. Yeah, well... Um, at one point in Glasgow, it was estimated that about 70% of violent acts at the weekend were by people drinking back fast. Okay. I don't even know what to say. Jeannie, have you got any crazy stories from where you live? Everything that happens here is pretty fucked up. So, no vampires dancing on cops' cars? No, 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 no. No, we don't have that. Well, we've got that here. So, yeah. Uh, now, now, before you leave, I have to tell everybody that the title of this story that Jan did not read out loud <laughs> was Man Twerks to Hall and Oates on Top of Cop Car Because of Vampires. And <laughs> some reporter put that shit in print. That's all I've got to say about that. I just thought it was funny. Once you see the video, it's, it's pretty fucking ridiculous. I did it all because of vampires. Okay. Sure well, I will did. watch the video on my phone as I'm eating my dinner. Okay. See, headlines like that I don't took really to death during my supper, and it is your fault. Headlines like that, I mean, yeah, we, it's, it's closed now, but we used to have a... Well... They they used to say with a straight face they were a serious newspaper, but we have a thing called the Daily Sport, which used to deliberately make up stories. So yeah, we've had some you know fantastic ones. Yeah, but this happened because yeah, what the fuck, Florida? Well, you see, that's why that's why this that's why the Daily Sport kind of folded because yeah, real world kind of was outshining the made up stuff. Oh, all I can tell you is if you want to read really fucked up Florida stories, um, the at Florida man tweet, uh, Twitter feed is pretty good for that. And then there's the at Florida woman Twitter feed because the crime that just happens in Florida, I guess the amount of meth everybody's ingesting uh, makes the crime just <laughs> fucking insane. So um, those are some of the best stories, actually. Just for sheer entertainment purposes. So, um, advert. Advert. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Ammoseek.com. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week.